This is episode 47 of the Landscape Photography Show, and in this episode, we're talking with my longtime friend in photography, Adam Woodworth. Adam was joining us from Lubeck, Maine, where I wanted to get his perspective on his experience with the pandemic, because when this started out, he was in a very different position than he is now. Big plans, like I know we've all had for the year 2020, were quickly diminished and he had to adjust while kind of in limbo on the road. So I wanted to talk with Adam not only about that, but also his experience with night photography, where that industry and genre in the photography world is now, and also his personal experiences in photography. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Adam Woodworth, and Adam and I have talked uh, in the past. We actually did a workshop together in Maine, and he was on my previous podcast, Photography Roundtable. We haven't talked in, I think it's a few years now, Adam. And, you know, when we were starting to talk about scheduling this talk, this discussion, you were busy. You were preparing to go on the road, road full time. This was late 2019. And I think you were gearing up for like this epic road trip and new way of life. Kind of compare and contrast that moment in time versus everything that's happened up until this date. And while we're recording, it's August 4th, 2020. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a crazy, crazy year, um, to say the least. Um, so first of all, yeah, sorry, it took so long to get this scheduled. Um, I know we were trying to do it like way back in October, I think. And then, yeah, that was when everything was, was going crazy for me getting on the road and everything. And then anyway, um, glad to talk to you now. Um, so we, uh, Linda and I, we like last summer, we were all gearing up for going on the road in our new RV, uh, just like a smaller RV, but um, full time. Like we were leaving at the end of September last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, everything was crazy with like, you know, getting, we were renting a house. So we were getting everything out of the house and like doing yard sale um, and all that stuff and putting stuff in storage, that kind of thing. Um, and we left at the end of September and we were living in Lubeck, Maine, which is where we are again. Um, and we went through Eastern Canada. And then um, at the end of, I think, October, by the end of October, we were back in the States and headed down to the, I think we like made a stop down in Tennessee, where you guys are, for mm-hmm. um, my uh, Linda's sister. And then down to Texas, we spent a month actually in um, Taylor, Texas, which is near Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd been driving and like basically not s- spending more than a few nights in any place for like a long time. So we just kind of took a month to hang out and had some amazing barbecue and stuff. And for sure. Yeah, went to, from there, we went to Big Bend National Park for a few days. And then we were in um 
it's El Paso, Texas, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just for like a couple, like a night or something on our way to somewhere else. On our, I think we were heading to like White Sands eventually uh, in New Mexico. But so in, in El Paso, it was actually my birthday. It was January 16th and I was turning 40. And um, for my birthday, I was like, well, I want to go over to like, let's go by White Sands. But I want to go up into this, this mountain, this uh, little town in the mountains called Cloudcroft in New Mexico. Just to check it out. It seemed like the photos I saw just looks like a funky old, like almost like a Western town or something like that with like just the way the town's laid out downtown. Um, And like kind of a nice, it's like in the mountains, there's like a nice view back to White Sands and all that. I just want to go check it out. So we started, we literally like leaving El Paso and about a block from the New Mexico state line. And we were on a road literally called State Line Road. And this kitten walked across the road. And I didn't see it at first. Linda was like, um, don't hit the kitten. Watch out for the kitten. I was like, what kitten? I don't see it. It was in a blind spot. Mm. And um, so we see it in the middle of the road. And I pull over into this parking lot. And the cat's just like walking around the street, like meowing and meowing. And clearly, like something didn't seem right. Like it was lost or homeless or something. Something didn't seem like it was going on right. So we, I got out, went over to the cat. And... Um, talked to the restaurant it was like at this corn this weird corner in the middle of nowhere where there's like a restaurant and that's about it and the restaurant owner said that they, that's unfortunately a, like a known dumping spot for pets like people just dump their pets there sometimes hmm. so fast forward this like basically take the cat to the vet and we end up with a cat on my birthday my 40th birthday <laughs> um which was like great because we left maine we had a cat that we loved a uh, maine coon cat named tilly and we couldn't take her with us because she was like a great travel companion when she was really young. And then whatever happened, she just did not travel well at all anymore. She would just vomit every time we went anywhere. Um, so we had to give her up, which was really unfortunate because we were hoping to take her with us. So we we're really sad about that. But then we found Maggie, who's our new cat, and she was a great travel cat. She like never had any issues at all. Um, so for like the rest of the trip through New Mexico and uh, Nevada and California and Arizona, we had this cat with us and on, on the way home. Um, so anyway, we like, I think maybe we'd heard inklings of this like coronavirus thing back then, you know, back in January or something like that, but nothing, we didn't know what was coming. Right. Mm-hmm. So we end up in like white sands for a while. We go over to Nevada. We're in like death Valley for a while. We go to um, California. We spend maybe I don't know, close to a week in uh, the Alabama Hills. Um, and we come out of the Alabama Hills to go down to like a Walmart or something to get supplies on our way to Detrona Pinnacles. And I go into the Walmart and there's like no paper towels or toilet paper left. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, we're aware of the news, but like we don't go into stores that often because we like just sit in one spot for a while or kind of drive around, you know. So I had no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> like why we were suddenly out of toilet paper. And I actually like went over to the RV section to get RV toilet paper, which is what I buy for the RV. Um, And there was this guy filming uh, some little like vlog thing or something at the RV toilet paper section. And I was like, this is weird. So I just went around him and got my toilet paper and kind of listened to what he was saying. And then he got off and he was talking to me and turns out he's like some whack job from Breitbart who like, does this vlogging stuff and he's like 
just trying to make a blog about how how it'll be okay. Like there's toilet paper, go to the RV section. I'm like, oh great, you'll wipe out the RV toilet paper for the rest right. of us. Who have RVs. But anyways, so that was weird. And I ended up being in his in his video in the background, apparently. I'm like, oh great, I'm in some guy who's a Breitbart in the <laughs> video. Um so we go to Toronto Pinnacles for a while and we start really hearing about the virus then, like um, where it's starting to take foothold in, in places in the, in the States. And we're like, wow, we're glad we're nowhere near anyone right now. Um, and then we go over to the Grand Canyon for like a couple of like a night or two, because it's just so busy over there. It's just kind of crazy anyway. And we're starting to hear more about it, but there's no like social distance guidelines or anything like that. I haven't started yet. Um, and then we get up to Page, Arizona, and we're in like Lee's Ferry campground up there for a while. And we really start hearing about it. And like there's like stay at home orders are starting and or social distancing was starting for sure at that point. Um, we we're like, oh, this is crazy. And like things were shut down, like all of Page, Arizona, like there were no um, like most of the restaurants were shut down or like takeout only or something like that. But pretty much most things were shut down. Um, except for like the grocery stores and stuff like that. Um, so it just started getting weirder. Like you remember this probably back, this is like mid-March at this point. Mm-hmm. So you probably remember it yourself when it was like, just ramping up and going full, like just going out of control really fast. And all the news was like very quickly getting really grim yeah. to the, um, the predictions that what could happen if we don't, you know, all stay home and do all those things, precautions. So we were like in our RV going, this is, this is getting crazy. Um, just reading the news and listening to everything. And so we decided like literally one morning in Page, Arizona, before we were going to leave that area to go to Utah, we were like, should we just go home? Like get the heck out of here and go back to Maine. And, you know, if this thing turns out to be as bad as they're saying, at least we'll be near our families. Um, Cause we both are from Maine and have family in this area. So it was mid-March, and we, we made the decision to just end our RV trip. We were supposed to be on the road for another, you know, at least until the end of, uh, or like late this year, like September, we were supposed to come back. Mm-hmm. So we were supposed to go all the way up to Alaska and spend the summer in Alaska, and I was supposed to teach a workshop up there. Um, so I had to cancel all that. Um, we canceled the you know hotel for the clients and the, like, the, the boat tour and all the Airbnb Linda was going to stay in and all that stuff. And just started heading back to Maine and normally like we were, so we were in Page, Arizona. It maybe take a few days, four or five days to get back to Maine if you're, you know, traveling normally, but with a cat and a girlfriend and everything like that, we were tra- averaging anywhere from like four to seven hours a day. So it took us like 10 days to get back here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was crazy because we were going through towns where all the stay at home orders were in effect then. And we were just like, uh, flying through cities that should have been really congested with traffic. You know, we went through um, Indianapolis and I think St. Louis, um, Kansas City, and other places where it was just smooth sailing right through the cities. So all the like <laughs> crazy, yeah, it's like there's traffic, but it's nothing like it should be, right? Yeah. And there's uh, like big construction signs everywhere that normally say like construction delay or whatever. They'd all say like COVID 19, stay home order, whatever. Um, so they very surreal and we would stop at like, you know, if there was a grocery store that was totally empty and no one was there, we would go in and try to get some supplies. Mm-hmm. But still most of the Walmarts were like packed with people. Like the wall, the parking lots would be totally full. And we're like, what are these people crazy? What are they doing? 
So we would avoid all that stuff and just try to go to like the little places or something like that and try not to do anything really just like get gas and hit the road. Um, so we stayed in like, you know, the usual Walmarts, some Cracker Barrel parking lots <laughs> and finally got back here. Um, and we've been back since the end of March and it's just, you know, that was when it was really going nuts in the Northeast. So we didn't, you know, I didn't leave the town at all for a long time. We had a quarantine for 14 days after we got here mm-hmm. back in Maine. So like we had to have friends go to the grocery store for us to get some things once or twice. Um, but then that all settled down. We were, And it was cra- like we were, had this place lined up. We were supposed to rent in uh, here near Lubeck in um, September. And the people who own it were like, well, we're not going to come up because of all the thing going on. So we'll just have you, you guys can just rent it earlier in the summer. Like when we got back, basically, like by, mm-hmm. I think it was May or something, they said to be ready. And then like the economy tanked and like they had issues with their, <laughs> with, with their, everything going on with them. So they're like, well, now we're not going to rent it at all. So then we were scrambling to go, well, what the heck do we do? Like we had the RV, obviously, but we had moved into a, uh, a cabin basically the, like a te- temporary lodging at this place that's just you know you rent by the night type of place yeah. because re- renting to us for the month at a much cheaper rate um just because it was a lot easier living in that than the, the small rv and we didn't have to have hookups and stuff like that and so we didn't know what the hell we were gonna do and then finally a friend came through with a place that their other people were moving out of so we found a place to live in that we're in now but um for a while it was just totally insane um you know, it's, it's, you're on the road and all of a sudden this crazy pandemic hits and you have to decide what to do. We could have sheltered in place somewhere out there and like kind of kept exploring, I guess, but like campgrounds were closing, um, mm-hmm. even public lands were closing. Like you couldn't go on public lands in some areas. Um, the whole Moab area was shut down. You couldn't go in there unless you were live there or had essential business there. Um, and that was like our next stop. <laughs> so we're like... <laughs> Uh, so it just made sense for us just to just to head home, and I'm kind of glad we did now because for a while I was like, well, should we stay on the road? Because it like doesn't look like anything's it doesn't look like it's going that bad out west. But now, of course, it's going crazy across the whole country, and the Northeast is chilling out. Yeah. Um, although cases are starting to rise again because of you know summer tourism and everything. But um, anyway, totally kind of wacky year. Glad we are safe back here in Maine. Um. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's do another compare and contrast. I mean, at that point, you're visiting all of these new locations. You're basically taking your camera out every single day. What does the life of a photographer look like from then? And what does it look like now? Uh, you know, um, on it's it's a little it's funny how it's different but not that different ultimately because mm-hmm. i i mean i do photography and i try to make some money at it but i also make money at software engineering still mm-hmm. so i've been a software engineer since i was like 18 or something like that um so i like and when the pandemic hit and i had to like basically cancel the workshop and then i can't even hold other workshops right now like i don't at least i don't want to risk it right so I'm working four days a week doing a computer programming for this company that I used to work for in Boston. So on the road, I was doing this too. So we'd end up at a place and I just like sit in the RV for like four days, like working. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then I'd have three days to do stuff. But I'd have the morning and the evening to go out. But it wasn't like we were constantly moving every single day. And I wasn't like hiking thousands of miles every single day or something like that. Like there was a lot of just sitting in the RV. Um, so it wasn't really, you know, it was cool to see places, but it wasn't really that fun when you're just like working all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, whether, whether it was the software I was working on or um, the... Um, uh, the photography business, like holding a webinar or a couple webinars I did and, and doing video editing and stuff like that for the webinars, like that took up tons of time too and getting the mailing list figured out and all that stuff. So I ended up sitting in the RV a lot, just doing work, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Um, but there was, you know, when I'm at White Sands or something like that or in Big Bend, then yeah, I'm definitely getting out and exploring or Alabama Hills, wherever, you know, the Grand Canyon, morning and evening shoots, maybe at night. Um, but the middle of the day is spent either dra- driving like a long time, uh, like hours and hours and hours or just working. Um, so back here in Maine, like I'm still working and I still go out morning and evenings, maybe depending on the day. Like last night I was out for the full moon and I might be out for, you know, night shooting when it's, when it's uh, dark skies. So it's it's like we're not driving hours and hours every day, but it's still pretty similar <laughs> lifestyle. We just have a bigger house, right? Yeah. Um, like Linda crochets, so she just did a lot of crocheting on the road, and she crochets here. And you know, I now I instead of traveling around the country, I travel around Maine and a little bit, you know, and, and just kind of um, around my area where I live in Lubeck, but also like I went up to Baxter State Park in Maine a couple times, um, where Mount Katahdin is, and you know, I just try to keep my you know go to places that aren't busy, basically. Um, I feel like a lot of people are in the same shoes that you're in, that I'm in. Um, we're stuck at home, whether that is a stay at home order or just trying to be responsible about, you know, possible spread of the virus. I think a lot of the questions that I get, I don't know if you're getting this too, Adam, is what, what can I do? I'm bored. I don't have these places to go see what can I do to still take photos? Like, what is your response to, to questions like that? Oh, I guess, you know, I haven't really had people ask me that, but, um, I really, know, I get that yeah. question every single day. Really? Yeah, no, I, I, I haven't actually, I've heard people talk about it, but I haven't, mm-hmm. no one's asked me that question, but I do have clients who are like, well, former workshop clients or people I keep in touch with or whatever, um, as part of my webinars they do every month or whatever that are like a guy who's in California who can't do anything, <laughs> can't, can't mm-hmm. do much anyway. They, mm-hmm. they stay home a lot, um, limited access to places. Um, and I guess the virus cases are going higher out in California right now. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, and, but you know, I, uh, so I haven't even really had to think about it for myself because I'm luckily in an area where there's very little, but I still stay very safe, you know? Um, I think if I was living in a place that was really heavily congested or something like that, then I would probably just stay home as much as possible or, you know, hit the gas station in the middle of the night when there's no one around and then drive to wherever it is to take photos. Um, but you know, you could pick up a macro lens and do uh, macro photography around the yard. Right. And, uh, you could, um, if you're in an area that's, um, doesn't have you know immense amounts of light pollution you could at least do deep space astrophotography with mm-hmm. a, like a telescope or you know a camera lens and a star tracker just from your, like your yard um 
you know, um, I, I did mention that actually in like some emails to, to people um, just on my mailing list. Like, hey, if you can't go anywhere, at least if you have access to a, a reasonably dark sky in your in your backyard, you can just do astrophotography right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some people have been doing that. Um, and like everything is crazy. Like, I don't know if you've been looking for anything outdoors or camera related, but like everything's sold out. Yeah. Um, you can't like I wanted to buy a canoe. It's like you can't buy a canoe. No one has canoes. <laughs> um, yeah, even like, you know, I like I actually did buy a macro lens just the other day, uh, but like it's all sold out everywhere. You get to buy a used one, something which is fine. Um, but there's just so much stuff sold out everywhere, like fishing poles. You want to buy a fishing pole, you have to go to Walmart and get the cheap one that'll break. You know, um, it's just crazy how everything is. I think what a lot of people are learning uh and correct me if you think I'm wrong is, is contentment, not only in day-to-day life, like being content with being at home and finding something to do when you're bored, but also in their photography, being content with, you know, I think with social media and Instagram culture, we have this whole thought process around bigger and better. You have to get out and, and go travel to take great photos but now we're not able to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are still traveling and I, I get, you know, what I get for emails is not people who are like, what can I do at home? It's people who want to come to here and have a workshop. Um, want to come to Maine and get a tour of, of Acadia or do a workshop with me. And so I've had to turn turn down a number of people who want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I don't really want to do tours right now. Is that um, difficult? Um, it's a little different. I mean, it's definitely money that's not coming in. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, I hate to turn down, um, someone who enjoys my photography and wants to learn from me. Um, cause that's kind of a bummer. Um, but it's just the way it is right now. Um, so I've had to do a lot of that actually just turn people away. Um, so I know that a lot of people are traveling, which seems crazy to me. But if you're driving, um, it's certainly a lot safer than flying, I would imagine. Well, let's talk night photography a little bit. Um, I was reading your about page on your website before we jumped in to the call. And, you know, on your website, you talk a lot about astrophotography, night photography, using a lot of tools to create the images that you want to create, which there's nothing wrong with that. But are people who are just getting started in night photography, or maybe they've only dabbled in it a couple times a year because they don't live in dark sky locations, are they overcomplicating the process a lot? Uh, sometimes I think I think it's easy to overcomplicate it because it just seems like it's complicated (laughs) (laughs) why (laughs) um well if you go out like i'm assuming from what people are are researching it's like you there's like tons of information out there on how to shoot the night sky right Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of information on like you know using a star tracker or star stacking or both or the right lens and the right camera you need um, and like tons of reviews on lenses that are like the best lenses for astrophotography and the best cameras for astrophotography and all that stuff, right? 
And so I think people can easily get kind of wrapped up in that and think that they don't have the right camera or the right lens. I actually hear this a lot from people. They message me and like they watch my webinar or something. I was like, well, I guess I don't have the right camera. And I'm like, well, what camera do you have? And they say they have like a Sony a7 III with like a, <laughs> a 24 millimeter lens. I'm like, yeah, you're fine. Like, I don't know how you watched my webinar and didn't think that would work. But anyway, um, I think that, that uh, you know, a lot of people just think they need like the, the right camera and the right lens that someone told them they need. But really, you just go out and shoot. There's friggin' cell phones that take night sky images now, for God's mm. sakes. So go out and use whatever it is you have, even if it's like a kit camera, you know, like a, like a, um, a Nikon D30, uh, whatever they are, the 3300 or something like that. And like the 1855 lens or similar thing from another manufacturer. Like, just go out. I don't care if it's an F4 lens. Just go out and shoot. You know, you don't. it doesn't have to be an F2.8 lens or brighter, right? So I just my kind of experience from what people, like, come to my webinars and talk to me about, it just sounds like it's very easy for them to get confused as to requiring that you must have, like, just certain equipment. And I'm probably guilty of that myself and, like, teaching that, like, you know, it's good to have this equipment. It'll make it easier. Um. But so I probably like the next time I hold like a, a webinar like that, it's probably need to make it clear that like you just choose what you have. Um, so, I, you know, I think that uh, um, it's really easy to go out and just shoot the Milky Way or the night sky um, almost with whatever gear you happen to have. As long as you have a reasonably wide angle lens, that kind of helps. Um, yeah, you know, you can use a camera that's 10 years old. doesn't have to be brand new. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars. Um, to get into it. I was just thinking about this, you know, you probably get asked questions about the night sky constantly. Would you rather be known as a night photographer or just in general as a photographer? Well, as far as the business goes, uh, being known as a night photographer is good for the business <laughs> because mm -hmm. that's where all my training is and yeah. all, you know, the income. And that's why people yeah. would come to you. Yeah. So, but, you know, it's also means I'm kind of in a way shoehorned into if I want to offer workshops or training, it's like people don't buy it if it's not night photography. Hmm. Um, so, um, it's, has that it's, been something that you think you've done to yourself or just what the industry has done to you? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I guess it's a byproduct of the fact that I just, you know, I really enjoy landscape astrophotography and have published lots of those photos, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so naturally people, if they enjoy what I put out there, that's naturally what they're going to come ask me about, right? And it's just the photos that got the most attention is the night photos, right? Like none of my daytime photos are, have really, you know, gotten much attention, right, in comparison. Um, and... So it's, it's, you know, it's just a byproduct of all that, I guess. But mm -hmm. I mean, I enjoy teaching. So when, when I have workshops, it's usually pretty fun. There's always, you know, some, a workshop with some person who's a pain in the butt, but, um, it's generally pretty fun. People are generally happy to be here. Um, so it's, you know, it is what it is, but I, I'm generally okay with it. I always remember the workshop that we went on um, and we did together 
and it was cloudy every single night and it was a night photography <laughs> workshop. Yeah, that is the problem with night photography workshops. And in fact, in Acadia, whenever I held them in Acadia, there was like, we'd get like one clear night out of the four or something, maybe two. Um, but I hold them here and like Acadia's just too busy now. Like I don't even go there myself for much anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just so busy there, um, especially at night because there's, you know, there's a few, there's like a bunch of spots that are good, but like um, the really popular spots are always often pretty crowded and there's not a mm -hmm. lot of room to stand and people show up with their headlamps and it's kind of crazy. And then there's like, you know, like the last time I did a workshop there, I think with you was that last one. Maybe that was the last one there. There were like six other night shirt workshops going out at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought it was handled really well though in the Facebook group we all coordinated yeah. what locations we were going to hit each night and kind of rotate those. Yeah, we got it figured out. It's just, it's not, you know, it's a hassle to have to do that every time you want right. to do a workshop there. But because it's such a small place, right? If uh -huh. you're doing knife photography out in Death Valley or something like that, there's just lots of room to roam around. That's obviously, that's the worst part of holding a knife photography workshop. And I've been lucky enough that when I hold them here in Lubeck, they're, we always get, you know, usually we get two nights of clear skies here. And the, the mm -hmm. workshop's like three nights long, and um, but I usually extend it a night. So you, a lot of people show up a night early. And so we often get four nights for some of the clients. Um, so we usually do get clouded out at least one night. Um, but I've had better luck here than Acadia for some reason, but that's just random. Um, and actually, the last workshop I held here last year, so I, had, I did four last year here. Um, we got clear skies every night. So we got four nights of clear skies, which was like a record for, <laughs> for that. Which obviously it makes it begs the question, like, why am I teaching, you know, night sky workshops here as opposed to out west or something where there's more, you know, the desert where it's just clear more often. Um, and it's just this is where I have the photos that I know how to take are here and like mm -hmm. the locations I know are here. And like even when I was out west in the RVs, like I explore a little bit, but I'm from Maine. I like Maine. I don't like the desert that much. It's fun to explore once in a while. And I like being out there and traveling, but it's friggin' brown everywhere. I'm like, get sick of brown after a while. <laughs> um, so, and so, you know, I, I know this area. And so I teach here, but it does, you know, cause some issues, of course, right? Um, but it works out. People are generally happy. Even if we get clouded out, people are pretty happy. You know, we'll go to like the bar and hang out and have a beer instead. Or have some mm -hmm. dessert and talk, and mm -hmm. um, so and everyone's been in, in pretty good spirits about it. You know, I've never had an issue with it um, yet. I mean, we had—I think we had one night of clear skies, uh, and that was we like made the last ditch effort and that plan to drive up to Lubeck from Acadia uh, to get like two hours of, of clear skies, and it—I it, mean, it was a beautiful night like absolutely magnificent. I actually, you know, tattooed one of the photos on my arm. Um, really? That I took. Yeah. <laughs> man, the, the over uh, West Quaddy. Yeah. Um, I have a star trail photo over West Quaddy and uh, tattooed it on myself, man. I did not know that. That's pretty wild. <laughs> That's pretty You will crazy. forever be a part of my body. <laughs> I got, oh, I'm, I think I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I remember that shot though. That's too, it's a great shot. Like the, the lighthouse looks, it's kind of looks like a fun house cause it's leaning in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause of the wide angle. And, uh, yeah. I love it though. It was awesome. I didn't know that's pretty cool. 
Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick break to talk to you about how you can get my courses at davidjohnstonart.com and you click on the learn tab for 33% off for a limited time. You can go there and during checkout, either on my website or on visualwilderness.com, any of my courses on there, are 33% off for a limited time too. Entering the code David33 during checkout. Through those, you can learn how to create and curate better images and become a more happy photographer. I don't want to say more accomplished. I want to say happier photographer because our enjoyment of our own images is what really matters. So again, davidjohnsonart.com. Click on the learn tab and any of those courses on there, whether it takes you to check out on my website or a checkout at visualwilderness.com. Enter the code David33 for 33% off for a limited time. Let's get back to our discussion with Adam. Are you afraid though, like having so much attention drawn to a small place like Lubeck, uh, I can't imagine, you know, it's overrun with tourism all the time, but with similar things that are happening down in Acadia, like Bar Harbor is a huge area for tourism, especially in the summer. Um, are you worried that attention drawn to areas like Lubeck as other areas become more crowded are going to overflow into that area? Uh, yeah. And there's a general consensus among some people in the town of stuff like that, or um, not everyone. Right. But um, the, like someone, some guy came in and bought a ton of land and opened a bunch of these little parks um, and trying to get, I think kayaking or something to come up here. Um, and there's not that much lodging here. Like there's a few places to stay and there's a bunch of Airbnbs and there's a few restaurants, but, um, the summers are definitely like this summer is different, obviously, but it's still busier here. Um, and it, like, it's good for the economy, of course, to have people coming here. Um, but it can, it can strain other parts of it. Um, and as far as photography goes, like the, it gets more difficult to go out and do workshops when there's like, you know, a bunch of other people <laughs> already at the location. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's just kind of what happens when people find out about locations. Right. So, um, I, I it's like, we're a long ways from being Bar Harbor just because there's such little infrastructure here compared to Bar Harbor, but they have cruise ships going into Eastport. I think that they might start doing that once this is all over because they used to do that before. Um, so who knows what it'll bring. It's a little fishing village where there's not much downtown <laughs> and there's only a few restaurants, um, but it's great in the summer. And then the off season, like everything is shut down and there's like hardly anyone here, um, which is really nice for going out and hiking and stuff like that. Like you don't run into anyone. Uh, do you see there being more possibilities in night photography? Like, have we just scratched the surface really? Cause it hasn't been an, around predominantly for that long. Uh, well, deep space, you know, just general astrophotography has been around for forever. Um, so in that regard, 
I think I think you know. like consumer based cameras like it hasn't been accessible that long. Yeah, it's now it's becoming uh I see people buying star trackers left and right and um, mm-hmm. like the the little small telescopes from uh, William Optics and stuff. So that's becoming more uh saturated. Like there's just a lot more people doing photos with with uh, telescopes and trackers and stuff like that. Um and I think with anything like that, I think the techniques end up eventually improving overall just because there's more people doing stuff in that area. So um, like there'll be more like different pieces of software that might make it easier instead of like using um, what's, what's the crazy piece of software that I use sometimes PixInsight, mm-hmm. you know, like there, I think the more people doing it, like there's more like competitive software that opens up that might make um, some of the stuff that PixInsight does, which is really good, uh, might make it easier to uh, beginners um i'm just sort of predicting the future here i don't know of any software that's <laughs> actually doing that but um there are you know there are some competing programs like star tools and some other things um that come out of this so like the more and actually uh topaz's denoise program their denoise ai program like they recently released an update to it that has a low light mode which i was i'm assuming was based on feedback from you know maybe night photographers and other people who do low light photography where the product by itself without the low light mode before it existed was just garbage it would like kind of work sometimes but it would just make like if you had color noise in your photos or any high iso photo it would just like not work at all really mm-hmm. um so i think the fact that it's now be so popular that they kind of like oh we got to fix this make it work better so now it works really well half the time um so there's an example of, you know, how a market being saturated helps, you know, the technology in it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I try to stay out of <laughs> most stuff. Like I take pictures and I do workshops, but I kind of avoid getting into anything uh, on social media or anything like that. So I don't really know what's going on that much, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Um you mentioned all of those softwares. Um, for the most part, I think a lay person or somebody who doesn't work with computers that much may feel overwhelmed by naming all those softwares. Does your background in computer programming give you an advantage using those and, and kind of learning new techniques with those when they do come out? Yeah, especially the more, um, I would say yes, with that for um, especially the more um, advanced programs like PixInsight, for example, which is like, it's even hard for me to use because I'm, I'm not a mathematician and it's like heavy on, on understanding mathematical algorithms to really take advantage of their, of their tools. But anyway, um, there's, I, th- the, I think the more you are maybe intimately familiar with your camera and the computer, like it just makes it a little easier to get around some of those more complicated applications. Um, but there are t- plugins for Photoshop that do a lot of really good things that are not nearly as, as cumbersome as using some, like thing, something like PixInsight, for example, um, which I only rarely use myself. Like I've used it on a couple of deep space images, but that's it, you know? Um, so it does help me, I think. Um, but it just depends on how far you want to go with the stuff that you're working on. Like a lot of people don't have any, I mean, it's like a huge learning curve to jump into PixInsight. Mm-hmm. So I think it would just like, 
<laughs> I think it would just keep people away just by the fact that if they even look at the pro- or even the price, for example, it's like two hundred and fifty bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you even tr- like look at it, you might just go, okay, I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to stick with Photoshop or something like that. Is it easy for you to teach though? Like knowing it and understanding it, I feel like it might be difficult to relay the information to somebody who's unfamiliar with it. Uh, yeah. So I teach like Lightroom and Photoshop and then like, you know, Starry Landscape Stacker and Sequator, uh-huh. right? Or Sequator, we're going to call it, um, are pretty much the four pieces of software that I teach. And I don't even know Sequator that well. Like I have a Mac, so I use Star Landscape Stacker, but I, I know Sequator enough to like, get a photo you know star stacking done in it um and i've like at least from the feedback i get from my students they've all generally enjoyed and thought that the way i teach is pretty good like they they really enjoy it and like it and they're happy um but it's probably taken me a little while to get there but i um i i try i'd like explain a lot of stuff um, in pretty good detail sometimes. Um, but I also gloss over things sometimes. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it can be a challenge to try to explain some of this stuff to, if, um, if you're not familiar with image editing at all, or if Photoshop's like you barely know it at all. But, mm-hmm. um, I found that people who are at least coming to the workshop or are buying a tutorial, they're like invested in learning this stuff. So it's, doesn't matter how complicated it is. They'll at least listen and um, try to take it in, you know. Um, and during the workshops, obviously, I can give people like hands-on instruction as well. For being so technical and technologically savvy, I would say, do you consider yourself artistic too? Uh, I guess so. Um, <laughs> I, I like what I create. And uh, I guess by definition, it would be art, right? Um, and I've been creative and other, like I do photography, obviously, but I've also, I played guitar years ago, which I like part of the whole stay at home thing when we got back is I got a guitar again, um, but I don't really play well. <laughs> do you want to play us uh, something? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I used to do like 3D graphics stuff um, and other like music stuff before I got into photography. I did videography for a while. I did some short films. Um, so I was really into like video editing and the whole, like, I mean, I directed a couple short films, people and wrote scripts that were terrible and had friends rewrite for me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I guess there's creative creativity and artistic stuff and all of that. Um, whether it's creating a photograph, taking a photograph from the camera and then manipulating it to bring out the details and colors and whatever it is you want to do to it, um, or writing, a screenplay uh, or directing actors or playing crappy guitar. Um, like there's always some creativity because I'm not just like, whatever it is I'm doing, I'm not like just copying someone else. If I'm on guitar, I'm not like just playing a song that's a hit in the radio or something like that. I'm like improvising most of the time and stuff. So there's, I guess, you know, I've been creative for a long time. Um, it feels weird to talk about myself in this way. <laughs> <laughs> Compare yourself yeah. to like, are you, are you compared to any guitarist on the planet right now? Like in your style, <laughs> my guitar. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I don't know. Find like the worst guitarist on YouTube or something like that. <laughs> uh, 
I, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not like a Tom Morello, Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> anything like that. Uh, I mean, my idol when I was a kid was Jimmy Page. Okay. So, you know, if anything, I try to be like him, but it's nothing. It doesn't sound anything like Jimmy Page. Um. <laughs> Let's close up with this. I was mindlessly wandering the internet, which I find myself doing more and more often now that I am stuck at home. Um, and I came across an article that I think it was yesterday. I think it was posted yesterday and it's titled how Ansel Adams revolutionized landscape photography. And just that title, like really kind of caught me off guard and kind of got me thinking about subsets of landscape photography. And since we were going to talk this morning, you came to mind and I jotted this note down just haphazardly in my notebook. Um, if, if Ansel revolutionized landscape photography, like who is that for night photography? Do you think? Oh my God. Um, I, that's a great question. Um, is it you? Is it? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. That would be. Really cool. <laughs> um, but I was thinking of people who were doing it around when I was, who I was looking up to, like David Kingham and, and uh, um, Sean Parker. Um, you know, the, the um, just whoever was around that was doing it um, back when it was becoming a thing. You know, like what are we at like seven years ago or something like that when mills maybe mm -hmm. starting to get really big. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. That's a good question, but, um, I don't really, I mean, I love Ansel Adams and for sure, but I don't really think of, of the rest of photography as who's like the biggest mm -hmm. uh, person, right. You know, but, um, you know, like my, I, at the time I was shooting, actually Mo Chen was like my biggest like influence. And he was a guy, another guy in Maine, mm -hmm. um, who was doing, um, Milky Way photography and we were friends. Um, so like at that time he was my biggest, uh, my, inf my biggest influence with night photography and, uh, uh, Michael Blanchett was doing it. And so we'd go out and shoot. And so I learned a lot from the people who, um, I actually go out and shoot with. And from people who I either admire their work and maybe they have video tutorials or something. Um, yeah. So I don't, you know, now there's, that hand. yeah, there's like lots of people doing night photography now who are doing it really amazingly well. Right. Mm -hmm. Like just crazy. Um, how far it's come. That handful of people, do you still draw influence from them? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I'm kind of in a bubble. Like I don't look at social media very much. I'll jump on once in a while and see what people are doing, but, um, I kind of just focus on my own thing and, um, I have a few people that I'll look up and see what they're up to once in a while for sure. Um, but I, I get influenced mostly by places that I discover randomly and want to go photograph as opposed to a photo, another photo, I guess, like another, um, 
yeah, what am I trying to say? Like, if I find a location that I've, that's like in my area or someplace I just haven't heard about before, like that's more interesting to me than a photo um, of some other place that's um, really popular or something like that. Um, and that inspires me more, I think. I don't know if this is coming out right. <laughs> yeah, so place inspires more yeah. than other photographers. Yeah. Um, I guess so. That sounds like it's really mean in a way. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely inspired by um, like the amazing stuff that people like Ted Gore and Mark Adamus and Ryan Dyer uh -huh. put out and uh, my friend Josh Snow and my Josh Cripps and Mike Mez and, you know, all my friends uh, or people that I kind of know, like Mandy Lee and stuff like that. Um, but even like my friend here in, in Maine, Ben Williamson, um, you know, there's just seeing the stuff that they do, like, is actually, is pretty inspiring for sure. Um, yeah. I don't think it sounds, does anyone, is it mean if anyone hears this? Does anyone listen to this show? I don't know. <laughs> is this thing on? I've never heard of the show before. No, me either. I don't know. I honestly don't look at stats. I have no idea if anyone listens. Oh, that's good. You don't get <laughs> caught up. And if it's a, it's a hit phenom, you don't get caught up in making it better. I guess not. <laughs> I guess it's just mediocre all the way through. All right. Well, he's Adam Woodworth. Adam, thank you for the time. Thank you for coming on and talking with us about current events, about night photography and, and what inspires you as a photographer. Thanks, David. It's a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for having me. Look forward to uh, seeing you again in person sometime one of these days.